kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you're still sitting in the seat, I encourage you, Russ, we're really hot here somehow. Um, I really encourage you to uh, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Uh, this is not an unfamiliar passage of Scripture. You all will know the passage when you get to it. Uh, you go, hey, you skipped a whole bunch of uh, chapters in between. We'll come back to those eventually because they get covered twice. But uh, we're going to simply take from Moses being up on the top of the mountain. God told him to come up. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments I'm, and the, the law. I'm going to put it in stone for you. And he is up there in a cloud. And while he is there at the bottom of the mountain in the camp, Things aren't going real well. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Becoming Like Your God. Now, I meant it in a very negative way. Because what is the focus of your life, what you worship, what is important to you, you become that way. Your attitude, your thinking, your actions are all based on what is the focus of your life, what is most important in your life. When I told Peter that this morning, he goes, he didn't know what I was preaching on. He said, oh, the New Testament's about that is as we grow in the Lord, we become more like Christ. We become more godlike. And I'm like, yeah, that's the positive side. And that wasn't the one I was actually dwelling on this morning because I was dwelling on the negative. But the truth is, if you're following Christ and you are growing as a Christian, you're going to become more Christ-like. On the other hand... If you're walking after a golden calf, wow, does it go downhill fast. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're in Exodus chapter 32. Um, and I'm just going to pick it up. There are no points to this sermon. This is a story. Um, any other way, um, I think, would not do the passage justice. So we're going to just tell it like a story and make comments as we go. It says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, it says this. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So they are like, oh, you're not this way, but I am impatient. Isn't it funny that when we're trying to live for the Lord, most of the time we drag our feet and we're lagging way behind what God wants us to do, right? You know, he kind of got to give us a booster every now and then. On the other hand, if God doesn't do what we think he should do, we get ahead of God and we go ahead. In this case, they're not willing to allow Moses to be in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. They get impatient and they say, we don't know what happened to this guy. Is he coming back? Now, think about this. Moses has been the guy that went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Moses has been the person who walked across the Red Sea. Moses is the person that led them around through the wilderness so far. God has made it very clear over and over again Moses is my guy. I'm bringing my revelation, my commands, my ordinances through him. 
three times at least already, they've said, whatever the Lord commands, we will do. All given to them by Moses. And now, we don't know how far in it was of these 40 days. We just know he was there for 40 days. But somewhere in those days, and I'm going to guess, you know, it was maybe near the end of it, they get impatient. They said, if it's not our way, it's not our wisdom, and it's not in our time, we're going to do what we want to do. And we're going to take this whole thing into our own hands. Uh, they didn't ask for confirmation. Lord, can you make it clear that Moses didn't go up there in the cloud and die or any of those kinds of things? They just said, make us a God. And uh, the, when it says they assembled about Aaron, the word um, about is actually the word that could very easily be translated against Aaron. Now remember, why about, what is this about Aaron? When Moses went up, he put Aaron in charge. He's supposed to be the guy they go to if there's an issue. So they have an issue. Not a good one, but they have an issue. They go to Aaron. And uh, remember, think about this. It's the people who start this. And they're going to Aaron, who is their leader. They said, we don't know what happened to Moses. So what do you, what's Aaron do? He goes with the flow. I don't know about you. I'm getting to the end of Garden Chapel, and I don't say a lot of stuff, you know, that, that goes in this direction, but I will now that I'm near the end. You know what? You probably know people that don't come to Garden Chapel because of me. Because you know why? I wouldn't tell them what they wanted to hear. See, leadership says, there's a time you just say, no, that's not God's will. That's not what the Bible says. That's not true. Not everybody likes that. They're going to do it their own way, and they leave, and the really sad part, a lot of them never go to another church again. Some of them go to a church where they let anything fly, whatever. But the point is, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, there's a time to have a backbone. Aaron didn't have a backbone, and that's a problem, because I know God is going to hold Aaron responsible. Were the people wrong? You better believe it. They were absolutely wrong, because they said, we're going to do what God said. <laughs> what did God say? Have no gods, other gods before me? Don't make any graven images? And they said, yeah, they are. we agree with that. What do they do? They turn around and say, Give us a physical representation. Keep that in mind. Because the bull back in Egypt where they just came from was a fertility god. Keep that in mind because it's very important when we find out what, what happens as a result. Remember, you become like the god you serve. You become like the god you follow, the god you worship. You become that way. If you're close to the living true god... Your life's going to change. Your ethics, your morals, your words, your actions, everything's going to change for the good. You start following some other God, and by the way, God's come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. You're going to become like you worship the world and what the world has to offer. You're going to, be looking like, you're going to start looking like the world. It's just the way it is. So Aaron says, tear off the gold rings. 
which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Looks like everybody was wearing jewelry. Where in the world did this former slaves get all this jewelry? You know where it comes from because when they went out of Egypt, it says they plundered Egypt. They went and asked their neighbors for something. I don't know why the neighbors gave them the gold and all this earrings and all this kind of stuff. I don't know why. Maybe it was good riddance. I, I just don't know. Or was it a going away present? I don't know. But they have all this gold and they're wearing it. And when it says tear it off, they didn't rip out their, you know, rip out their earlobes. It means they basically voluntarily said, hey, we're eager to do this. So they said, make us a God. Aaron said, tear off your earrings. And they were willing to eagerly follow Aaron. You go, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder at the church or I'm not a youth leader. You know what? Every single one of you, if you're a believer, you should be a leader somewhere in your life. Whether it's your family or it's a ministry or at work or wherever you go in your neighborhood. You should be a spiritual leader. If you're not, check and ask God where he wants you to be a leader because you should be a leader. And there are times that you're going to have to say, nope, can't go that way. Not going to go that way. But uh, they eagerly give the rings. The people tore them off. And uh, they uh, gave them to Aaron. Now notice, they're the ones that started it. And uh, he is going to facilitate it. And he is the one that God is going to hold basically responsible so he took the gold from their hand, I'm now in verse 4, and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. I don't know exact details here, but molten means they cast it, and engraved means they literally took a, a tool and engraved it. So it looks to me like they probably did a sand mold of some sort, poured the gold in, and then they took a, an engraving tool of some sort and put in the details. I don't know. It really doesn't matter all that much. But they did this, and uh, they said, listen to this. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. I'm talking about slapping God in the face and spitting God in the face and disrespecting God. Here the God who had gone before them in a pillar of fire and cloud, all of a sudden they're saying, Hey, it looks a little bit like one of those Egyptian gods that God had just judged and brought plagues against. And now they're saying, oh, we want a God like that. And, and that's what they get. That's what they have. In fact, is in case you're thinking, well, maybe this isn't really worship in Psalm 106, it says that they made a calf at Horeb and they worshiped a molten image. Horeb is another name for Sinai. Uh, and they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. And here's the telltale one. They forgot God, their Savior. Wow. Think about that. We can point fingers at the Israelites and say how bad they did this. We can point fingers at Aaron and saying he should have been a better leader. Don't point too many fingers until you checked yourself. I'm putting my right in there. 
You know, it is so easy for every one of us to get our eyes, our focus, our worship, our, our importance on something else. And whatever is the most important is your God. You think about that. doesn't matter what it is. It could be power, prestige, money, uh, things. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. If you get your focus on the wrong thing, you're already in trouble with God. And that's exactly why. Because you're forgetting God, your Savior. And then it doesn't stop there that now they have this golden calf. By the way, we don't know how big or small it was. We just have no idea. It never tells us. But it says in verse 5, Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation. Listen to this. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. That's the word Yahweh or Jehovah. The self-existing God. Wow. This isn't, thou shalt have no other gods before. They're saying, no, this is our God. This is Jehovah God. Think about that. They have replaced the living and true God with an image that can do nothing. Remember, God had just rescued them from Egypt. God is providing, going through the Red Sea on dry land, guiding them, drowning all of Pharaoh's soldiers and chariots. God has proven himself over and over again. And now they're worshiping an idol. And say, oh, it's going to be a feast to the Lord. They justified what they were doing. Totally contradicted what they simply said they were going to do before. Hey, whatever the Lord says, we will do it. So what happens? Verse 6. Remember, you become like the God you serve. So the next day they rose early, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Oh, Peter just announced Sunday fun day. Man, they had a Sunday fun day back then. Not a chance. If you're doing this at Sunday fun day, uh, I'm out of here, <laughs> and I hope you are too. Because when you look at what this is saying, well, did they eat? Well, that's the regular thing they did. But it's fellowship offerings to a golden calf who they said represents the real God who cannot be represented by a form. It's very clear in the Bible that can't happen. And to drink doesn't mean they had Kool-Aid and lemonade or whatever else, some soda or whatever. No, that's not what it's talking about. How do I know that? Because I know what the rest of the context is. Because it, drink just means drink. But whatever this was that they were doing and drinking put them out of control. Got to wait till the end of the chapter for that, that verbiage. But it's there. And then they rose up to play. Not the church softball team. It's none of those kinds of things. This is a word that is used when Potiphar's wife said, Joseph came in to make sport of me. Immorality. It is the word that is used when Sarah laughs when the pre-incarnate Christ says you're going to have a child next year. Mocking what God had said. It is the word that is used when Samson is brought out from prison and they're going to use him to amuse the Philistines. 
The word amuse is this word. It's a negative word. They're out of control. They've defiled themselves. They've corrupted themselves, it's going to say here in a few moments. And, uh, well, they're doing this. So they're having this wild party. That's what it is. Why? How do I know it's out of control? They have a God that represents a fertility God. And they're acting like the God. Now, the words that are used in the rest of the chapter are going to back up what I've just told you in case you don't think that's the way it goes. Look at verse 7. Moses is up in the cloud. God obviously can see what all is going on. He looks down and the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. Notice this. For your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt... I don't expect God to do this, but in this case, this is exactly what it says. God goes, ah, they're not mine. They're yours. You led them here. You all know um, how that all works because almost always somewhere in the life of raising children, one spouse, one parent looks at the other and says, your kids are misbehaving. You don't say our kids. Oh, nobody, nobody's ever done that. I think we've done that one. I think most of us have somewhere done that. But that's exactly what it's, it looks like here. It's like your people that you brought out are the ones that have corrupted themselves. And that means polluted. So if you wonder if what's going on is bad news, he uses the word corrupted, which means polluted or depraved. Uh, and, and they're just destroying themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it. Notice, while they, they had the idea, Aaron carried it out, and God is going, no, they're all in this together. It is so easy. Default mode is to go the wrong direction. Did you ever notice... Because I've had people say, well, it shouldn't be hard to follow the Lord. Default mode is never following the Lord. Default mode is what? Doing what you want to do, the way you want to do it, when you want to do it. Isn't that the way it is? Like, it's as easy. Doing the wrong thing is as easy as falling off a log. Doing the right thing requires choices. Purposeful choices. And uh, they just go off the deep end. And they've sacrificed to it. And they've said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Talk about disrespectful to God. And then the Lord, verse 9, says to Moses, uh, I have seen the people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, I don't know anything about being obstinate. There's a young man sitting down here. He says, me sarcastic? Never. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic in case anybody didn't know that. It means you're stubborn. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but uh, anyway, they're right. Uh, the whole point is, yeah, he says, these are stubborn. The, the, the way some versions say, they're stiff-necked. Don't get me to turn. I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't care what you do. 
It's like a little kid saying, yeah, you may have me sitting down on the, in, uh, sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. <clears throat> That's this, excuse me a second. <clears throat> That's this whole thing here. So anyway, <clears throat> so God says to Moses, and I'm going to go over this quickly. Let me alone, Moses. Don't stop me. That my anger may burn against them. I'm going to destroy them. And Moses, I'm going to make you a great nation. So I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start all over. Now, if you want to know what prayer looks like, this is God's kind of prayer. Moses entreated the Lord, begged, pleaded with the Lord, prayed to the Lord, said, Oh, Lord, why does your anger burn against your people? Notice this. He turns around and says, No, they're your people. But that is, is that a true statement? The answer is absolutely. They are God's people. He turns around and says, You brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Moses take God, takes God at his word. And then he goes on to say, why would the Egyptians say, you know what, God was able to save them, took them out in the middle of the wilderness, and then he abandoned them, and he couldn't continue on. Wow, would that give Jehovah God a bad name, a bad reputation? The answer is it absolutely would. So Moses goes back and says, God, I'm just asking you to hold to your word. Think about it. When we pray, we're depending on God, and we're just repeating back to God what he already knows, and he wants us to acknowledge uh, what is going on. And verse 14, and this one here gives a lot of people heartburn, but it shouldn't, and it doesn't need to, because a lot of versions, the one I use says God changed his mind. Other versions say God repented, which is another way of saying God changed his mind. But the best way to describe this word and to define this word is that God would didn't change his mind to repent. It wasn't like God got it wrong and now he's going to change his mind and do something different. He relented. Here's what I know. I don't know all of this. I am not God. But here's what I know. God absolutely does respond to the circumstances. Does God answer prayer? The answer is yes. Does prayer change things? The answer is yes. God doesn't get caught blindsided by us or the circumstances or any of those kinds of things. But God does act in accord with the circumstances. So if you sin, God is going to judge. But if you confess and repent and change your mind and go the other direction, God brings blessing. Doesn't mean God changed his mind but he does act in accord with the circumstances, with the situation. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He responds to the circumstances about the harm which he said he would do to his people. So at that point, God's like, okay, Moses, you're right. I said they're my people. I'm not going to wipe them out and put you in charge. I'm not going to do that. And then it says, in verse 15, and you've never seen a picture like this, but this is what the Bible says. It says that he, Moses turned, he goes down the, the mountain, he has the two tablets uh, of stone, and they were written on both sides. You ever see a picture and they show you the reverse side? I've never seen one, but it says they were written on both sides. 
But here's the bottom line. And some people say, I don't believe the Bible is God's word. And I take them to this passage. Say, if you don't believe it's God's word, then read this next verse. It doesn't tell you about everything in the Bible, but I do know one thing. The Ten Commandments and the ordinances that God gave to Moses were not written, even written down like a penman taking dictation from God. God actually wrote them down. Notice what it says, verse 16. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. You want to start there? Even, even the secular world acknowledges things like the Ten Commandments are really pretty good. They really do. They'll say, oh, well, all great religions have something like the Ten Commandments. And they do. They're an imitation of the real thing. But uh, right here, it says, hey, God, God's the one that wrote it down. And so <clears throat> when he gets to, out of the cloud, I guess, we don't know exactly where Joshua was, but he's now talking with Joshua. Remember. Moses and some other leaders, including Joshua, went up the mountain, but only Moses went up and was in the cloud with God. The rest of them, so I, I picture Moses coming out of this fog, this cloud, and there's Joshua. And Joshua's going, hey, Moses, do you hear what I hear down at the bottom of the mountain? Can you imagine the ruckus that this took for this to be uh, heard? It says, I heard the sound of people as they shouted, and he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Hey, somebody's attacked them while we were up here. But he said, nope, not the cry of triumph. It's not their, yeah, we won. And it's not, oh, no, we're getting whooped. It's none of those. It's, he says, it's the sound of singing. And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Moses comes down and he sees the chaos that's going on. It is out of control. That's the way it is. I haven't used any tractor pull illustrations lately, so I've got to use one today. Last night I was up in the middle of nowhere. There's a little town, I don't know, an hour and three quarters from here called Hobby PA. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And as I was leaving, one of the guys that was at the, it was a fireman's carnival and we were, had a tractor pull there. Oh, I, I need to tell you something ahead of time. The fireman's carnival there is known for three things. A horseshoe pitching contest, a tractor pulling contest, and the beer tent. Yes, the beer tent. And what it is, is a pavilion with construction, that orange construction fence around it, and it's right near the track. Oh, we have the most enthusiastic, by the end of the night, the most enthusiastic crowd we have at any tractor pull. Because they're a little looped on that uh, by that time, and they're hooting and hollering if you get a pull, and, and it, it's kind of weird, but... Nonetheless, it's the only place people cheer for garden tractor pulling. <laughs> you have to be a little loop to do that. But anyway, so I'm pulling out. So you, you have to understand the circumstances. So I'm pulling out, ready to go. And somebody comes up to my door and says, hey, can you give me a ride to Route 81? I'm like, where are you going? 
And by the time he answered, I'm going, something isn't right here. And he told me the name of town. I have no idea what the towns are up there except for Hobby. That's the only one I know. And it's in the middle of nowhere, and he wanted to go to 81. And I, and I talked to him a little bit, and I said, listen, I'll take you to Route 81 if you want to. But I don't know where you're going. He was in the beer tent too long. He could not stop talking. He had no idea where he was going. And uh, so I'm taking, and he's like, well, this isn't the right road to, to Route 81. I said, oh, yes, it is. We came this way, and we're going this way. So by the time it was done, I kind of figured out, and I had another guy riding with me. We took him a good 20 minutes to a half an hour in the wrong direction, dropped him off at a truck stop. You talk about chaos in the head. That's, he didn't know what he was doing. So that's why I'm using all that for an illustration of, you know, chaos. They were drinking. There's another word that comes up here, and we'll, we'll see it here in a minute. So Moses is um, really angry, and you know he threw the tablets down. I'm not sure that that was God's plan. Some people like to say, well, that was just a, a symbolic of they had broken the, the law already. It may be, but God wasn't happy with Moses for doing that. So I'm not sure I buy that one. But anyway, and then Moses takes the calf, he burns it with fire, grinds it to powder, scatters it on the water, and made them drink it. I've tried to figure out how's that going to be. Here's what I'm thinking. Take a glass of water, take about a teaspoon of, of uh, sand, put it in the water, stir it up, and while it's still doing that, drink it. I don't want to do that, but if you have gold ground up in your water, that's what's going to taste, or not taste, but uh, feel like drinking sand water. That's the only thing I can figure out. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Notice the leadership angle here. Aaron, you could have said no. What in the world did they do to you that you were willing to go along with this? Uh, the New Testament says, not, do not let many of you become teachers. As such, you will inherit, uh, not inherit, incur a stricter judgment. And then Aaron says, don't let the anger of the Lord burn. Um, burn. Know that the people yourself are prone to evil. For they said to me, make a God, etc., etc. And then, probably the most pathetic excuse ever known to man. He says, I took the gold, threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <sighs> Another kid illustration. You walk in the room, something's out of place, something's messed up, and you go, who did it? Not me, not me, not me. Nobody did it. I'm, and I'm like, okay, where's the invisible person in here that did it? Aaron's like, oh, yeah, I, I just did this, and out came this calf. Well, we know that didn't happen. Uh, I, I put it down as the most pathetic excuse ever known to man. But don't point too many fingers. We do the same thing. That's why I point this stuff out. And then, verse 25, now when Moses saw the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among his enemies. Anybody got a King James Version? And what is that word for out of control? Anybody got it? Naked, yeah. I'm not sure that's the only way to translate that because the word can mean naked. 
It simply can mean out of control. It can mean lack of restraint, unrestrained, and all of those things. Here's what I believe. They were drunk. They were worshiping a fertility god. They were out of control. And that means probably some clothes came off in the whole process. In other words, they saw pure chaos. Uh, when they came down, they saw pure chaos. And he says, you're going to give us a really bad reputation with our enemies. That's what derision means. It, you know, they're going to look at us as real fools. And so Moses says to the Levites, they were to be the spiritual leaders. He said, get your swords. They get their swords out. They go through the camp. And I'm going to do this really quickly. I'm running out of time. Go through and start killing people. Killed 3,000 people. The Levites did. And then he said, kill your brothers. And so they did exactly that in verse 28. And that's where it says 3,000. And then after it's done, verse 29, then Moses said, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord. For every man has been against his son and against his brother. Man, oh man, that is horrible. And then he says one more thing in that verse. In order that he may bestow a blessing upon you. Folks, if we don't have a merciful, gracious, loving God, I don't know what else to say. Here they had just worshipped the false god and, and just been out of control. And he says, you know what? I'm still willing to bless you if you deal with it. Do I deserve that kind of thing? And all of us have done really foolish things. So again, don't point too many fingers at them. Look at yourself in the mirror. That's what we need to do. That's what the Bible always requires us to do. And he says, you know what? I'm willing to start again. Wow. Somebody said God is a God of second chances. I disagree with that. How about third, fourth? Yeah, just keep on going. Now, eventually, I know God says enough's enough, and, you know, he brings judgment. I get that. But, man, oh, man. If somebody did stuff like this to us, we go, okay, you, you fooled me once, fooled me twice, you know, I'm three strikes, you're out. Praise the Lord, God doesn't go by baseball rules. <sighs> Praise the Lord, because they're going to do this over and over again, and God is still gracious. And then Moses says, well, you've committed a great sin, and Moses returned to the Lord, and he said, alas, this people has created a, a, committed a great sin, and they made a God for themselves. But now then, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, blot me out from your book, which, which in my name is written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot his name out of the book. But now go lead the people where I told you. Remember I said start again? Pick up where you left off? That's exactly what he's going to do. He says, Moses, Aaron blew it, don't you? You're the leader. Lead them forward. And he said, I'll send my angel before you. We talked about that before. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll punish sin. That's, that's in verse 34. I'll punish sin because God is a just God. He is merciful and gracious, yes, but he also must judge sin. And he does both of those things. And the last verse says, Then the Lord smote the people because 
of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Now, I've looked everywhere, and I can't find a specific thing where it says, and God brought a plague or something like that. But we do know that from then on, there were those things where God said, you're disobedient to me, there's going to be a consequence. So at this point, it's an, I, I'm, this is my interpretation. There's an unnamed consequence that goes with that. Let's face it, everything we do has consequences. If it's sin, it has consequences. Even if you're forgiven, there are still consequences that don't go away. If you're obedient, God brings blessings, and usually the blessings are more than we ever, ever, ever deserve. All I want to point out is you become like what you focus on. You become like your God, whatever that happens to be. You act that way. They worship a false god. They're out of control. They become depraved. They do things that are just totally unacceptable. And it brings a bad reputation. I would say, I'm no different than that, and you're no different than that. Because I believe, and it's said before, you know who's the worst uh, advertising for Christi Christianity? Who is it, Craig? Christians. Yep. Everybody stand. Just think about that one. Thanks, Craig. You, you, you uh, finished the sermon.